Well, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Oh, thank you. You guys said those exact words back. That was nice. It's going to be a good day. Well, my name is Kayla. I'm one of the pastors here at Northgate, and I'm so glad that you chose to come and celebrate the new year with us here. Our vision is to transform our homeless communities and world by pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. And I hope that just by your being here today, you will catch that vision and choose to join with us on our, on our journey toward that. Well, as you know, we started a brand new year. This is our very first Sunday in a new decade. It's a big deal. So this is it. Like it's you and me and this is it. This is our new decade people. We are ready for it. And we're actually starting a new series today too because listen, I'm still fairly new here to Northgate and we are all still new to how we're doing this whole church thing together. And sometimes, sometimes you just got to say some things out loud. You know, sometimes you just have to say things out loud. And I don't know um, if any of you are parents out there, but as my journey as a parent has unfolded, especially when my kids were littler, I found myself saying some crazy things. Any of you found yourself saying things you never thought you'd say? Here are some of my favorites that I may or may not have said and or I found on the internet. I don't want to embarrass my children, so you can decide which one it is. Here it is. First one. Just because the dog licked you does not mean you should lick her back. <laughs> Never thought you'd say that, huh? How about stop hitting your brother with your pancake? <laughs> we hate those horrible pancakes. They'll get you every time. Okay, how about this? No, you cannot sleep with the watermelon even if you named him Billy. Even if you name the vegetables and fruits, you may not go to sleep with them. How about this? Take your elbows off the quesadilla. The amount of things I've told my children to take their elbows off of is very interesting. Okay. How about this? Stop hitting the car with your snorkel. Because who doesn't want to attack cars with diving gear? How about this? And last one. I'm not talking to you until you are wearing underwear. I don't know about you, but when I was pregnant, I didn't think, and one day when I hold that precious little baby in my arms, I'm gonna be like, seriously, underwear, now. But it happens. We say things out loud because we have to sometimes. And sometimes it's just good to stay, say stuff out loud to fortify it in yourself and in the people that you're saying it to. I don't know if you have ever been in one of those situations where you know that you know that you know that you know a thing. And then someone asks you a question about it and you're like, well, I did know, but now I have no idea how to say it. Now, I facilitated Rooted a few times, and one of my favorite moments in any of my Rooted groups, which is our 10-week discipleship program, you heard about it on the video, I was sitting with this group of people who most of them had been Christians for longer than I had been alive. It was very intimidating for me as a facilitator. But we had a few new believers, we had a few people that didn't even follow Jesus yet in this same group, and it was perfect, I loved it. But at one point, one of those people that were still figuring out this whole Jesus thing asked one of the other people, they asked the group, hey, how do I know that God will still love me even though I've done really bad stuff? Now my job as a facilitator is just to do this great move where I'm like, I don't know, how will you know? So that other people can answer the question. It's a discussion, right? 
And one of, the, one of the ladies who's followed Jesus for seriously longer than I've been alive said, oh, sweetie, that's just grace. And she said it with such confidence. And she knew it. Like she knew, oh, that's grace. That's what grace is. She thought she was really giving them a good answer. And that person looked back at them and said, right, what's that? And the lady with that same confidence started going, oh, well, grace is, um, well, gra- grace is when, so I know what grace is, I just don't know how to say it. <laughs> so that's kind of what we're doing together during this series. We're going to talk about things that we all think we know already. We're going to talk about what church is. This series is called This is Church which also happens to be our website, thisis.church. This is church, so we're gonna spend the next several weeks talking about who God is calling us to be as a church, big C church, believers everywhere, and who God is calling us to be as a community of faith here at Northgate. A grandmother took her four-year-old granddaughter to big church for the first time, and this sweet little four-year-old, she sat quietly the whole time. She did so good just taking it all in. Her curiosity, she kept it down until the pastor prayed at the end, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. The little girl's eyes flew open, and she went, Granny, we're gonna get presents! Sometimes we don't know what we don't know until we know. And so let's spend the next few weeks doing that. Today, we're gonna open God's word and see our mission and vision as a church. And then we're gonna spend the next few weeks on what we value as a church here at Northgate. Before I dive in, I wanna celebrate three things that God did through us collectively in 2019. So both at our Benicia campus and here, this is what God has done. I'm only gonna give you three, there are plenty more, but these are something that we wanna celebrate because we value what we celebrate and we celebrate what we value. So I know there's already been a lot of clapping, but we're going to celebrate these things and I think you won't be able to handle it when I say it. You're just gonna have to clap and hoot and holler. So here it is. First one is this. $270,000 was given away to unleash compassion in both local and global missions in one year. That's crazy. That's what God did through your generosity. Here's the next one. 2,300 man hours have been worked serving in our local communities and neighborhoods. 2,300 hours, that's something to celebrate. That was all of you. And this one makes me teary. 1,100 people took a next step, which included them getting the This Changes Everything book. 1,100 people said, I'm ready to walk into a relationship with Jesus. That's huge. That's huge. And that's what God did through you. That's what God did through us. That's what we get to be a part of, and that's something worth celebrating. And I I have to tell you that that is what this vision and mission of this church is all about. Will you pray with me? We need to stop, and we need to thank God for all of that, and then we'll dive right in. Father God, you are so, so good. Thank you for being generous with us. Thank you for being generous with us, and thank you for inviting us to be a part of what you're doing in this world. You didn't have to do that. But thank you for inviting us. God, we love you and we trust you. We know that you are good and loving and powerful. And all his people said, 
Amen. Very good. All right, let's dive in. So today, we're going to talk about our mission and our vision. The mission sets the direction, and the vision lights a path for how we can get there. So our mission is the overall purpose of Northgate. And our mission here is to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus. Our mission is to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus. And here's the best part of that mission statement. It sounds a whole lot like Jesus's. Because see, in Luke 19, Jesus said this, for the son of man, he's talking about himself, came to seek and save the lost. So our mission statement is just a reflection of what Jesus said himself he came to do. That's all it is. I mean, we can say it's creative, but really we're just restating what Jesus said he came to do. And Jesus spent his whole life here on earth with that mission at the forefront. Have you ever lost anything? Like really lost it? Anything important? My husband knows very well, and we're going to hope he doesn't say amen at this very moment, that I consistently lose my wallet. And this, hey, stop it. And the staff is even catching on here to how often I lose my wallet so badly that I actually bought myself a tracker last week, a little GPS tracker that I put in my wallet because I constantly lost it. Now, I prefer the words misplaced because I always find it again after lots of tears and the dog's afraid of me and my children are afraid of me and I've turned our house upside down. I always find it. And so that's not the kind of lost that Jesus was talking about in this passage. The kind of lost he was talking about, the kind of lost that he came to seek and save was people who are lost in every sense of the word. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, the writer named Matthew, told us his story of how he met Jesus. In Matthew chapter nine, verses, starting in verse nine, it says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. That's because Matthew was a tax collector. And a tax collector was about as popular as you might think a man with that job might be. In fact, in that day, tax collectors were hated especially because Matthew was a Jew, so he was an Israelite like the other Jews, but he worked for the government that was oppressing the Jews. So he worked for the enemy, and on top of that, he would often skim off the top for his own gain. So he was considered a thief and someone who was against his own people. So he was not a very loved person. So Jesus found Matthew at the tax collector's booth, and this is what Jesus said. He doesn't butter him up. He doesn't ease into it. He just says, follow me, he told him. And this is the amazing part. And Matthew got up and followed him. That's the story Matthew tells of how he met Jesus. Jesus walks up to him doing the thing that everybody hated him to do, said, follow me, and Matthew got up and followed Jesus. And then it continues this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, so evidently Jesus took Matthew to his own house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So Matthew followed Jesus to Matthew's house to have dinner, and then he invited all of his riffraff friends, all of the people that the other people hated, 
And that's who Jesus sat and ate with that night. Now, when the Pharisees saw this, the Pharisees were the religious rulers. They were the goody two-shoes of goody two-shoes. They were legalists, and they were not big fans of Jesus because of it. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because you see, the Pharisees, they never would have been caught dead eating with tax collectors and sinners. I don't know if they were afraid it was gonna rub off on them or if it had something to do with the law actually said, don't do that. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. You see, Matthew and his friends were the lost that Jesus came to seek and save. They're the kind of people in our mission statement. We're here for the sick. We're here for the sinners. We're here for the lost, the people that Jesus was here for. Now scrolling down in that chapter, just going down a little bit further, Jesus raises a dead girl. He heals a woman who's been bleeding for years just by her touching his garment. He heals a blind man and he drives out a demon from a man that was keeping him from speaking. And then we pick up in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, crowds that started following him to watch all of that happen. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd, lost. The people Jesus came to seek and save. And then in verse 37 says this, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Our mission statement is an answer to that prayer. The prayer that Jesus told his disciples to pray, hey, go get more workers, because these people are ready. There are plenty of lost people out here ready to hear the gospel, ready to hear the good news of Jesus, ready to be in community, ready to feel that love and that salvation that I came to give them, but we need more workers. So pray for more workers. And 2,000 years ago, they prayed that, and here we are. Our mission statement is an answer to that prayer. Our mission is to help people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. Our mission is the same as Jesus. Now our vision is how we see that playing out. And you hear me say it every Sunday morning. In fact, if you're not tired of it, I haven't said it enough yet. Our vision is transforming our homes, communities, and world by pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. Now this is a descriptive, so it's, it describes something, and it's a prescriptive statement. It's both at the same time. It's descriptive in that this is what will happen if we do what we said. So we will see our homes, communities, and world transformed if we pursue God, build community, and unleash compassion. And it's prescriptive because this is what we use as our compass, as our filter. When we have a good idea or someone comes to us with a good idea of something they want to do here, we think through, okay, does it fit in our vision? So someone comes to us and says, I really think that we should have an underwater basket weaving class. It's a big deal. 
is a really good idea. More people need to underwater basket weave. We say, hmm, does that pursue God, build community, or unleash compassion? If no, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just means it's not our thing. Does that make sense? It keeps us on focus. It keeps us on the path because we really believe there's nothing greater than the mission Jesus has sent us on. And I don't know about you, but those transformation stories every week keep me going because I'm hungry for transformation. I'm hungry for transformation in my own life. I'm hungry for it in my home, in my neighborhood, and I'm certainly hungry for it after I watch the news in our world. So let's turn our Bibles to the book of Acts, and we, we have it up here on the screens too. And Acts is in the New Testament, which is in the second half of the Bible. So if you split your Bible in half, if you're new to the Bible, if you split your Bible in half, and then in half again, you'll land in the New Testament somewhere, okay? And Acts is right after the gospel. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then you get to Acts. And Acts is the story of what happened after Jesus died, came back to life, visited people, gave them some final instructions, promised the Holy Spirit, then went back to heaven. Acts is the story of the beginning of this thing we call church. It's what all believers everywhere are a part of. So right after all of that happened with Jesus, Peter, one of his apostles, stood in the middle of the town and preached an amazing sermon that was empowered by the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, had been promised by Jesus. Now, we've actually read this passage together before, but it's one of my favorites, and it's worth repeating, so I think we're gonna be okay, all right? He ended this sermon this way, in Acts chapter two, verse 38, says this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Far off, do you hear that? The lost. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. This was the birthday of the church. It was a pretty big birthday because 3,000 people heard that message and chose to follow Jesus that day. And then in verse 42, the writer is describing this ragtag group of baby Christians and this baby church, and he says it this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That description, starting in verse 42, that description is where we get our vision. This is how we're gonna walk out the mission that I told you about early. This is where you find it. So look at it with me. We see pursuing God in here. And first, we pursue God by devoting ourselves to his word through teaching. 
Did you see that where they devoted themselves to teaching? Romans 15.4 says this. It says something great. Can I do Romans 15? Sorry. Okay. So we devote ourselves through his word, through teaching, and that's what we're doing right here and now. We're devoting ourselves to the word of God. And we'll do that every single week. When we pursue God by devoting ourselves to his word, we are transformed. We also pursue God through prayer, communication with the creator of the universe. You see, you can't have a relationship without communication. Prayer changes things, and the first thing it changes is you. Prayer changes lots of things, otherwise we would have no reason to do it at all. R.C. Sproul says it this way, prayer does change things, all kinds of things, but the most important thing it changes is us. As we engage in this communion with God more deeply and come to know the one with whom we are speaking more intimately, that growing knowledge of God reveals to us all the more brilliantly who we are and our need to change in conformity with him. Prayer changes us profoundly. So when we pursue God through prayer, we are transformed. And we also pursue God through praise and worship. Praise and worship is just telling him how good he is. And it's not just the song service, but it is certainly a part of what we do. In fact, the word worship comes from the Latin word that sounds more like worth-ship. See, worship is just simply telling God how much he is worth to us. And so we pursue him when we tell him how much he's worth to us. When we worship, we're creating an atmosphere for God to move in our lives individually and corporately. Jack Taylor said, when we praise, productivity is maximized, fulfillment is realized, and frustration is neutralized. Have you ever had the moments where you come into worship and you're kind of grumbly and you got your hands in your pockets and the kids probably threw something at you. They probably hit the car with a snorkel or their brother with a pancake. I don't know. But you've had those mornings where it's just really hard to get here and you're trying to stay mad. And then worship starts. And halfway through the first song, you find yourself kind of swaying a little bit. Your hands are coming out of your pockets just for a second. All of a sudden, your shoulders are going down a little bit more. Something happens when we worship. Something happens when we worship. King David sang a song about pursuing God. In Psalm 63, he sang this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. That's how badly King David wanted the presence of God. But if pursuit feels like more work for you, hear me closely. I have some good news about this pursuit. Because I don't know about you, but I don't need one more thing to run after if it's not gonna do anything. Fair? I run after lots of things. Sometimes I even just run, which is a horrible idea. <laughs> but this pursuit... This one always comes up with a yes. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. 
Come near to God and he will come near to you in James 4. Over and over in scripture, we see that when we pursue God, God is right there going, oh, so glad you came. I've been here the whole time. I've been pursuing you too. You can be sure that your pursuit of God will always be answered with a yes. Our pursuit always results in nearness to God and when we are near to God, we are transformed. So back to our text. This time, see how the early church is building community. You can see it wherever you see that word fellowship was actually the Greek word koinonia, which just simply means intimate community. That's what they were doing. They were in fellowship. They dedicated themselves to being in community. It wasn't even just that they really liked each other. Out of 3,000 people, do you think they all liked each other? No, but they dedicated themselves to intimate community with each other. They were together and had everything in common. They didn't just meet together for that one mountaintop moment at Pentecost. They said, no, we gotta do this again and again. And you think meeting once a week is rough. They made every day, every day. Please do not come in here tomorrow. <laughs> every day they got together. They were in community together. They ate together. Can I get an amen? The church potluck was born. Actually, we see eating a lot through scripture. It's holy, it is, especially if there's cherry pie, it's holy. And here's why we see it over and over and why it's so important. God created us for community. He actually created us in community for community. See, God's very nature is community. That mystery, that mysterious word trinity where we see God three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but they're one, three separate, but one, that is community. And when God said, let us make man in our image, he was creating us in community for community. It became a part of who we are. And so if you are isolated and away from community, you are actually not fully living into who God created you to be. And we're gonna talk a lot about community in the coming weeks as we talk about our values, but let me at least say this. Romans 12 says that we are a part of one body. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And then in Hebrews 10, verse 24, it says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Community is life-giving, and it is part of following Christ. So we're gonna pursue God, we're gonna build community, and we're gonna unleash compassion. We see it in our text here again when it says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. These people were radical with their compassion. They were radical with their compassion. And in that Romans passage that we were reading just a moment ago, it continues on this way. 
Paul instructs the church in Rome, the believers that were meeting together in Rome years later, is he says this, love must be sincere. Let's see if you can catch our values in here. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Do you hear building community there? Okay, now verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Do you hear pursuing God there? And now here's the unleashing compassion part, verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do you hear what unleashing compassion sounds like in the early church? It sounds like hospitality. It sounds like taking care of people in need. It sounds like not clapping back. It sounds like blessing people who are cursing us. That's what unleashing compassion looks like in the early church, and it is our vision for it to look like that now. What if we were that church? Imagine it for just a a moment. Imagine if we were those people, the people that were known for blessing instead of cursing, the people who were known for their humility and living in harmony with other people, Imagine if we were known of taking care of others. Can you imagine how the shift of thinking about the church would change if we become that church, if we become those people? And if we're a church that unleashes compassion, we will be transformed. If you as a follower of Jesus start unleashing compassion in your life, you will be transformed. And when you're transformed, your home will be transformed. And when our homes are transformed, our community will be transformed. And when our communities are transformed, the world will be transformed as well. I know that because that's how this whole thing started. In the end of our passage, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And 2,000 years later, we're sitting in the Mission District of San Francisco, California, a few clicks away from the ancient Middle East, all because they pursued God, built community, and unleashed compassion, and God transformed them, which transformed the world were still his best plan to transform the world. We really are the hope of the world because of Jesus. There I heard of a young salesman who was disappointed about losing a big sale and when he talked to his manager, he was saying, well, I guess this just goes to prove you can lead lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink. And his manager said, your job is to make him thirsty, not to make him drink. That's our job. We can't make the world follow Jesus. We can't make them see how he can change their life, but we can sure live lives that make them real thirsty. And that's what will happen as we are transformed. The world will get thirsty for the living water. 
the world will get thirsty to have a taste of what we have. And maybe for some of you, that's what you want. You want transformation today. You're like, I'd like a taste of that. My life is mm, glad it's a new year. Let's see if we can do this a little different. In fact, some of you are surprised that lightning didn't strike when you walked in today. There's always one of you. I have really good news for you. It didn't and it won't. You don't have to wear rubber shoes anymore. There's something we say every week. We say there's nothing so dead that God cannot resurrect it. There's nothing so broken that he cannot mend it and there's nothing so lost that he cannot find it. That invitation is for you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. It is as simple as you walking out these doors to the next steps table and getting one of these, this changes everything books. And evidently you're not alone. 1,100 other people did it last year. This journal here, it's 21 days that will start you on a journey to know who Jesus is and how you can follow him. How you can be pursuing Jesus. If that feels blurry and a little bit confusing, we just tried to make it simple and we're not gonna just hand you this and then say bye, hope you do it well. We'd love to follow up with you. We'd love to walk with you on this journey. So if that's you, this is your gift day. It's free, it's for you. And maybe you know you need something. You know you want transformation, but you're not so sure about this whole Jesus thing. It seems a little bit much. This is your gift too. You can have it because we really do believe that Jesus changes everything. And if you would take that one step toward him, that's enough pursuit for him to run all the way at you. So we'd love for you to do that today. And for the rest of you that have already made that decision, I know that we've said some things out loud today, and I bet there's one or two of those things that you're like, I mean, I know that, and I believe that, but man, there's a next step I could take in that direction. We have a really simple way for you to do that. There's connection cards right in front of you and the pew back in front of you. This is your way, your way to let us know how we can pray for you this week or how we can help you take your next step in your journey with God. You just put your name and email address on here and you can check any of these boxes that will help you take your next step. Maybe you're not sure what your next step is. So let me tell you, if you're not sure, your next step is something called starting point. We're doing it at 9.30 every Sunday morning downstairs this month. You just show up, come on in, or you can check a box and we will get you started on it. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while but you need to get into community. Try out Rooted. Take 11 weeks to see how God wants to connect you to him, to the church, and to your purpose. But don't leave here today without taking a next step. You can fill this out and you can put it in the giving boxes as you leave today. Will you stand with me as we close? Maybe today everything feels like a little much. There's just a lot. Listen, the holidays are fun, but I'm not even sure what day it is. I'm really glad that somebody told me today is Sunday, you should go to church. In fact, I saw on Facebook, somebody said, I don't know who needs to hear this, but today is Friday. But I saw it on Saturday, so it was really confusing. 
So if life is just a little much today and you want somebody to just kind of hold you up, hold you steady, we're gonna have prayer partners right in the front here. They would love to come alongside you and pray. If you want to ask God for something you need, come down here and pray with them. If you wanna praise God for something he did, come down here so that you can pray with them. We'd love to have you there. I wanna thank you for those of you who are guests with us today. I'm so glad that you're here. I'd love to meet you. We'll be out in the lobby. We have gifts for you at the new friends desk. You can meet us out there. And once again, thank you for your generosity. Today, you really did get to see what God has done over this last year, and you are a part of that. So thank you for that. Now, will you just uh, put your hands out like this? We do this every week. I wanna leave you with a blessing, and this is just a posture of receiving. May God give you eyes to see what he has for you. May he give you eyes to see the people he came to seek and save. And may he give you the courage to walk towards them. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.